having me. It's my, my pleasure to be here. So, seems like it's sort of turning into a routine every year in January. I get to come and, and talk about what I need to hear the most, which is shepherding my heart and, and reminding myself what that is. Um, those words, they, I think they, they're part of my vocabulary. Shepherd my heart, guard my heart. I'm grateful they're part of the church's vocabulary, right? It's just what, it's the kinds of questions I, you know, it's when I hang out with the guys in my small group, a question I inevitably get is, how are you doing guarding your heart? How are you doing shepherding your heart? And there's something really sweet about familiarity, right? It, it makes it so that it's something that I'm always aware that I needs to be going on. When I see sin in my life, I know it came from my heart. I know that I have to be addressing my heart. Um, but there's something dangerous about familiarity too, right? There's familiarity can maybe breed complacency or maybe a thought like I got that. Let's move on to something new. Let's move on to something more exciting. And that's why I'm so grateful for Wellspring, for Build, and just the the culture of the church that's reminding me um, even in the things I'm familiar with that's not that's not sufficient I actually have to do it so I, I hope that, that today we're going to open up to Proverbs 4.23 it's the, the verse that's on the back of your binder it's the, the verse where the word wellspring came from for this, this ministry I hope that the time that we spend there this morning is fruitful in helping to unpack what it actually means for a Christian to guard their heart, to shepherd their heart. So, um, Solomon tells us that above all else, as an item of first importance, we must guard our heart. And this is foundational for the Christian life. We can't ever graduate from this. Okay, so, and that is why we put this, it's why we made the ministry for everybody in the church, Wellspring Build, and we made the, the first discipline of that, guard your heart. Something that, that no matter how familiar we are with it, we can never move on from. Um, so, so just to go ahead and open your Bible to Proverbs 4.23 with me. Let's, we're going to learn from Solomon's inspired words not a hard verse. We're going to learn an incredibly simple, powerful, and absolutely necessary fact. Okay, this is true for every single one of us. And armed with this fact, you're going to understand, we're going to understand the importance of the battle for our heart. We're going to be better equipped to pursue God, better equipped to fight sin, better equipped to shepherd our hearts. And after our hearts, we're going to be better equipped to shepherd our homes and the ministry that God puts us in. But before we do that, let's pray together. God, I beg, I beg that as we have your word open in front of us, as I speak and seek to expose the truth of your word, I beg that you would guard and guide my words. God, I beg that you would reveal yourself to us in your word, and that when we see you revealed, we would worship you. God, please grant us understanding 
of your word by your spirit. Finally, God, transform us, sanctify us, perhaps even save some as your word is preached this morning. God, please use this message this morning to make me guard my heart more diligently. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look back at Proverbs 4.23. It's an incredibly simple and profound passage. It simply says, guard your heart above all else, for it's the source of life. In Proverbs 4.23, there's three parts to the verse. Right There's a what, a how, and a why. Look down at your Bible or the back of your binder and let's look at that together. There's a what. There's a simple command. Solomon, the wise father, has this command for his son. What is it? Simply guard your heart. You can look at some other English versions to see, see the command, help understand a little better the nuance of, of the Hebrew. Keep your heart, watch your heart, guard your heart. How how did Solomon intend for his son? How did God, through his word, intend for us to do that? Above all else, right? Other versions, versions say, with all vigilance, above all else, with all diligence. And then why are we to do that? It's the source of life. Other English versions render the Hebrew phrase source of life. It's it's from it flow, from the heart flow, the springs of life. It's the source of all your life. Or it's the wellspring of life. So Proverbs 4.23, it's, it's easy to understand. You probably already had it memorized. And if you didn't, you'll have it memorized soon. Um, I recommend you commit it to memory and you hold it up as as a reminder of what God has done for your heart, what you must do with your heart and how you must do it. Let's unpack this this verse and its application to the Christian today. Let's start with the why. Why are we why is it important to guard your heart? Well because it's the well or the source from which all your behaviors, all of your life springs. Have you ever sinned and thought, where did that come from? Is there like, you maybe explode at your roommates, a short temper with your husband, <coughs> anger at your children, entertaining or acting on sinful fantasies, laziness, lying, gossip, sharp speech, the, the list goes on. Where did that come from? Sometimes we feel like, well, that's not the true me, right? That, that I don't know where that came from. It just came out of nowhere. Well, Proverbs 4.23 is going to help us get at the root of these sins and more. And it's going to prepare us for the gospel solution to the problem of where those sins came from. The inspired Solomon gives a profound illustration for your life, for my life. That you can think of everything. Everything you say, everything you think, everything you do, basically your life. Think of it as flowing water. 
all of this water has a common source from which it flows. Right? The wellspring. Your heart. Obviously, this isn't your physical blood-pumping heart. Right? It's the, the term the Bible uses to describe the innermost you. The source of all that you do, all that you think, all that you are. In a word, your heart is you. Right? What you do comes from you. This might sound pretty simple. Almost so simple that it doesn't even need to be said, right? But this simple truth has profound consequences. It reveals the relationship between our heart and our actions. There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. That's, there's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Or put it another way, there's no part of your life that your heart does not affect. Consider that. That's what this verse, that's a simple profound truth that this, this verse, the, the word wellspring reveals. Right? There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. There's no part of your life that your heart doesn't affect. We're going to look at some of the implications of that truth. But the the image is of a city's vital water source. Pure water at the source. The source, the wellspring, is pure. Everyone in the city has pure water. But if there's contamination in the source, there's no hope for pure water. And this is a problem. Because the Bible describes the heart our life source in its natural state with some, some pretty unflattering terms. Consider Jeremiah 17.9. You guys are probably familiar with it. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then open your Bibles to Genesis 6.5. Turn there. We're going to look at God's assessment of the human heart. Genesis 6-5. Consider with me that God saw the wickedness in man's heart and was moved to kill everybody but Noah. It says, Yahweh saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth that every intention of his heart was only evil continuously. Remember, the, the flood didn't fix man's heart problem. Right? So that, that description of man's heart is only evil continually, it's just as true for the unchanged heart today. There's no part of your life that doesn't flow from this wellspring, right? And if this wellspring is is deceitful, desperately sick, and only evil continually, what does that mean for what's going to come out? If you take Proverbs 4.23, and you combine it with what Jeremiah, Genesis, and, and really the rest of Scripture says about the unconverted heart, What does that say about what's going to come out? 
A poisoned well produces poisoned water. And a wicked, unrighteous heart will produce wicked, unrighteous actions. And always consistent with itself and the truth, this is exactly what we find God's assessment of the human heart to be. Turn to Romans 3.10. Right, if you take Genesis 6.5, combine it with Proverbs 4.23, you're going to anticipate what God says in Psalm 14.1-3, which Romans 3.10-12 quotes. It says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. No one naturally has a good heart. And no one, no, not one, does good before God. We're a bunch of wicked people with unrighteous lives because we have wicked hearts. But remember, God doesn't leave the Christian in this situation. Okay, this is before God does his work in our heart. So speaking of the new covenant with Israel, that Christian Gentiles get to enjoy as well. God says in Ezekiel 36.26, you can turn there, Ezekiel 36.26, And I will give you a new heart, And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to enjoy or to obey my rules. God promised Israel that he will someday give them a heart transplant. That would be their only hope for cleaning. This hasn't yet happened for all of Israel, but it it is what God does when he saves us. We get to enjoy this new covenant reality. What what vivid imagery that is. Consider what what God says he does with a new heart. I I have the privilege of, of administering anesthesia every day. It's a job that's pretty fun. I can't believe I actually get paid to do it. You go to work every day, you know, this is awesome. But I get to see just how important a healthy physical heart is. And it's sobering, scary to see what happens to a body when a heart goes bad. The blood stops flowing effectively, and the whole body goes bad. God designed healthy hearts to be nice and elastic, ready to stretch as venous blood pours in and it vigorously pumps oxygen-rich blood throughout the body to feed the body's various organs. But when the heart's diseased, like when a virus invades, or as like its blood flow's compromised after you've had a heart attack, the powerful heart that used to be elastic, when it fills, it stretches, it becomes literally like stone. Um, the blood can't get in and it doesn't flow out. The blood sort of passively flows, but the heart won't stretch to accommodate it. And it it pumps so weakly that other organs are affected. Right? When when you have heart failure, your kidneys shut down. Your brain doesn't work right. You're just weak, lethargic. It's remarkable to see how 
a dying body is rejuvenated when it receives a heart transplant or when the blood is restored, blood flow is restored to the heart. The stony heart in a transplant, when it's removed and replaced by a healthy heart, kidneys that were on the verge of needing dialysis come back. A brain that seemed like maybe the person was suffering from dementia comes back healthy and strong. You replace the heart, the source, and all of the life follows. It's a, it's a sweet illustration that God gives here. And it's true when we think of our heart as the wellspring, the source from which all our, our life flows. And Christian, we had an old dead heart of stone. And that salvation, God didn't just forgive our sins. He did that. But he took out our old heart and gave us a heart of flesh. That's what God did for you when he saved you. It's what God did for me. We were born again. John 3, 3. We're a new creation. And God's given us a new heart. If you, let's look at Romans six seventeen. It says, we, we used to be slaves to sin because our heart was sinful. Right? That makes sense. If your heart's sinful, you're going to only be able to choose, only be able to follow sin. We used to be disobedient from the heart. Right? Disobedience was some, wasn't something that we just did sometimes. Our heart could only disobey. Our heart could only sin. We were disobedient from the heart. But Romans 6.17 tells us what God's done. Appropriately, Paul starts with, Thanks be to God. He says, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. Obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. The gospel, right? You became obedient from the heart to the word of God. And you've been, having been set free from sin, you've become slaves to righteousness. John Flavel, he's a 17th century Puritan, probably one of my favorite authors. He said, the heart of man is his worst part before salvation. And it is his best part after. Praise God and thank God for that. Like Paul says, thanks be to God. We're obedient from the heart now. So Proverbs 4.23 told us that the heart is the wellspring of our lives. And that would be horrible news if it was not for this great news, the gospel. That when God saves us, when you despair of any goodness, and you hope only in God for good, and you beg Him, you trust in Him, you cling to Him to forgive you from your sins and to change your heart. When you do that, when God changes you, He changes us from the heart. That change isn't superficial. It changes us from the core. So let everything else that you learn today, everything you resolve to do today, sit under the shadow of that massive truth of the gospel. And if God hasn't changed you from the heart, if you're not a Christian, if you're here just doing religious things, going to church, reading your Bible, 
feeling better about yourself. Maybe trying to get to God. Know for sure that those religious efforts are futile. Because they're not for God's glory. And they flow from a wicked heart. And those efforts are evil in God's eyes. And in in a room this size, there's a good chance that some here haven't been changed from the heart. Some here maybe are content with religion. Please consider if this is you. If there's any, any way in which you've been content with religion, not desiring heart change, not trusting in God, maybe clinging to your own works or thinking that you're pretty good, please confess it to God and despair of any goodness that you thought you might have on your own and turn to God with a desperate faith and ask him to cleanse you from the heart. The problem with sin comes from the heart. The solution has to be at the heart level. And only God can do that. So Puritan pastor Richard Baxter, another guy who read anything I can get my hands on that he wrote, he wisely advised the church, till the spirit has regenerated the soul, all outward religion will be but a dead and pitiful thing. To make up a religion of doing or saying something that is good while the heart is void of the spirit of Christ and sanctifying grace is the hypocrite's religion. To pretend that you're holy through religious exercise and hard work while your evil heart remains unchanged. That's the religion of Pharisees that God will be glorified to judge. And these practitioners will spend eternity under God's right wrath. But thanks be to God. Praise God that he has no interest in religion. Through the gospel, by Jesus' work at the cross, God gives us new hearts so that we who are slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. Christian, your heart is precious. Not only because it is a source from which all your life flows, but because it was made new through the gospel. You were a slave to sin because your heart was sinful and now you're a slave to righteousness because God's changed your heart. So imagine a city with a poisoned well. Imagine that. The city could not flourish. In fact, the city would be full of death. Then imagine that one day the king filled in that old poisonous well and he dug another one, one that was pure. And immediately, just like the person who received a heart transplant, that new city was full of life. Those who were made weak, anemic, and dying from the poison, they had a taste of that which they never knew before, pure water. And those people would know the importance of that well, of that wellspring, and they would know the effects of the tainted well, and they would know the joys and the importance of purity. Those people would know the importance of a pure water source and they would never think, I wonder how much poison I could let back in that well and still be okay. No, they would guard that well with all vigilance because they would know that their very lives depended on it. Christian, we are those people. 
And in light of this illustration, consider the quote from, John, from Charles Spurgeon, speaking of the relationship between sin and that well. The poison of the soul is only sin. In this, sin, it's like to poison in many respects, because poison, wherever it enters, it stays not there, but it diffuses itself all over the body, and it never ceases until it's infected all of it. Such is the nature of sin. Enter where it will, it creeps from one member of the body to another, and from the body to the soul, till it has infected the whole man, and then from man to man, till the whole family. And it doesn't just stay there. It stays not there, but it runs like wildfire from family to family, till it has poisoned a whole town, and so a whole country, and a whole kingdom. Woeful experience proves this true. The poison of sin won't just stay in your heart. It will seek to destroy you, then your home, and your ministry and your small group in this church. So what poison are you dabbling with? What poison did you do you think it's okay for me to let this back in my <clears throat> well, I'll be okay? Remember purity. Long for it. Don't stop at anything to guard your well. For the sake of your life, your home, and this church, and God's glory, guard your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. Let's take a quick bathroom break, and then we'll, we'll return to review what guarding your heart looks like. Thank you guys for bearing, bearing with me. I know it can get long um, with teaching and with listening this early in the morning. So <clears throat> try to remember now what, what we just covered. We just covered the, the, the command, right? The, or the, the, the why, that the, the heart is the wellspring of life. And that that truth needs to affect our thinking of sin the gospel reality that God gives us a new heart has to affect our thinking and application of this verse that we have to prize um, our heart in a, our heart's important to us in a way that it wouldn't be if we hadn't thought about what God did remember the illustration of the of the city the poisonous the city that had known only poison with a new well New life infused. That city would never think, how much poison would I let back in? Right, and that's, that's us. So, the heart is our wellspring. It's where everything in our life comes from. And that leads very naturally to Solomon's command, right? The what of the verse. And at the beginning of Proverbs 4.23, it says, guard your heart. So, sin is the poison. Purity is to be protected. So guard your heart. Notice with me that as Solomon is speaking to his son, he gives this instruction as a command. Guard is an imperative. This is not an optional thing to do. It's something that 
must be done, that we're commanded to do, and it's an active verb. It's something that you actually do. It's not done to you, not done for you. You do it. The word used here for guard, watch, or keep, it's the same word as is Hebrew word as is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe an alert sentry in a watchtower, like the one on a Judean mountainside, guarding a valuable resource. A city dependent on a pure water source would obviously place sentries around its pure spring to protect the purity of its water. A city at war would have guards always on watch, knowing that a very real threat could appear at any moment. And if that water source was compromised, the very life of that city would be at stake. So we have a precious, newly pure water source with ever-present threats seeking to poison the well. We must guard our hearts. So how are we to guard our hearts? How can we keep the source of our life pure? Thankfully, Scripture doesn't leave us to our our imagination here. Uh, There's so many verses that talk about how this is done. We're going to focus on just a couple. Turn with me to Psalm 119.9. Right, so how, how can we keep this source of our life pure? In Psalm 119.9, David, in essence, asks that same question. Read with me. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? How would you answer this question? Let's see how David does it. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, answers that question by guarding it according to your word. He says, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So how did David guard his heart? David guarded his heart with God's word. He guarded his heart by seeking God through his word. So as you guard your heart, you will be protecting it from evil not wandering from his commandments. You will be careful who and what you allow close. And you will be careful to fight temptation and not think that your heart can tolerate just a little bit of evil. You will protect your heart from exposure to things that would poison the wellspring of your life. But we see here that more important and more fundamental to the guarding of the heart, it isn't just what you keep out of your heart but what you keep in your heart. Seek God with all your heart. As we guard the wellspring of our life, we must be shepherding our hearts to the Word of God to get the God of the Word. In your guarding your heart, make sure that you're not shepherding it to pharisaical, behavior-focused religion, but to God in the Gospel. It's not enough to merely look at the things you must avoid. Neither is it sufficient to say what's permissible for me to do. Right? We pursue God and His holiness. We every day must 
put God before our hearts in the word. That's how we guard our heart. In so doing, we also flee from the poison of sin. But not as an end in and of itself, but to keep our heart pure to God. Let's look at a New Testament parallel to David's heart purifying God-seeking in Psalm 119. This, this verse isn't on your outline, so please write it in. It's 1 John 3, 2-3. 1 John 3, 2-3. Write it on your sheets. Turn there with me. 1 John 3. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears... We shall be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. (coughs) Christian, God has changed you. He has even made you his child. But this change of nature, although it's drastic, it's a heart transplant and it's adoption as sons, This change of nature is not yet complete. What we will be has not yet appeared. One day when we see God as he is, face to face, in a moment, we will be made to look completely like him. This flesh that so easily entangles us, which is so easily contaminated, it will be removed. And we will be pure even as God himself is pure. But this passage doesn't merely make us give up hope of purity now and wait for that day. No, this passage gives us hope that we are God's children now and purification is possible. How? Well, first let me ask you a question. How will purity come on that day when we're made to be like him when Jesus returns? Look at the text. What's the answer? We're going to see God as he is. Where does God most clearly reveal himself to us now? Where can the eyes of your heart gaze upon Christ, gaze upon God as he is? In his word. So just as David keeps his way pure by seeking God in his word, the New Testament Christian is to hope on God, fixing the gaze of his heart on him, as we look for him revealed in his word, and as we hope in him and flee heart-contaminating sin, which the verses to follow this say, we're purified more and more into what we shall be as his glorified children when he returns and we see him face to face as he is. So do you see how important it is to flee sin and fix the gaze of your heart on God in his word. So how must we do this? Above all else, with all diligence and vigilance. We have a new heart with new love and affection for God, but the flesh within, Satan without, and the temptations that surround us are constantly assaulting the heart, seeking to taint it with sin to draw us away from God. So set up a guard around your heart 
by above all else, not being content to let an ounce of sin in, rather seeking God with your whole heart through his word. We do this all the time, every day, no higher priorities, no days off. What do you do with more attention, with more vigilance than you guard your heart? The answer, according to God's word, according to Proverbs, is should be nothing. There should be nothing that's done with a higher priority than this task of guarding your heart. So, I'm not talking, Solomon wasn't talking about guarding your heart like you might put up a chain link fence and install security cameras to guard something that's pretty important. Right, that's what you do for sort of important things. We're talking about the most important thing in your life. The blood-bought new heart that everything flows from. The wellspring of your life. As I was thinking about this, the illustration of NORAD always comes to my mind. And it's, I think it's helpful. Um, it's North American Aerospace Defense Command. It's the... Colorado Springs, the mountain close in the Cheyenne Mountains. There's a the center of our of our command. It's enclosed. It's surrounded by at least two thousand feet of granite on every side. Right. It's enclosed with thick doors, blast valves, its own multi-million gallon water supply, with a multitude of sensors constantly assessing for any and every threat to its own security and the security of our nation. Right? It's sort of the heart of the United States' defense. It could survive a near-direct hit with a nuclear bomb. That's the kind of guarding of God's word. That's the kind of guarding that God's word is exhorting us to. It's the modern-day equivalent of the walls and the constant presence of, of alert sentries that Solomon probably had in mind for a city guarding its its wellspring of, of water. So, in your own life, as you use the words, guard your heart, shepherd your heart, as you seek to implement that into your life, do you view it as just one task among many? You know, I have to do my laundry, clean the house, cook food for the kids, and shepherd my heart. You know, like, as if those are all just, you know, a list of, a list of to-dos. Well, Solomon commands us that the way that we guard our heart is with all vigilance and above all else. And when the Bible commands us to do something above all else, we ought to listen. This isn't a suggestion. It isn't something that would be good to do in addition to all the other things that we do. It must be the most important task of your life, done with more energy than you do anything else. So like the Secret Service vigilantly protects the President, like the United States protects NORAD, like a city protects its pure water supply, we must diligently and vigilantly, above all else, guard our hearts. And as we think about the need to diligently guard our hearts, consider with me the one who wrote the book of Proverbs. In this command, Solomon. Right? Surely he knew the fact that if a life is to be pure and holy unto God, 
the source had to be pure as well. Right? He wrote this. If there was anybody who was convinced of the need for heart shepherding, it was Solomon. But being convinced of the necessity of heart guarding, it isn't sufficient. Agreeing with Solomon regarding this verse doesn't automatically mean that you are guarding your heart. Being excited, using the lingo, doesn't mean that we're doing it. Standing up here teaching this lesson doesn't mean that I've done it. Consider Solomon with me. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4. This is sobering. First Kings 11, 1 through 4. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, First, they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. His heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. David sought God with his whole heart. Solomon, through a series of heart-poisoning compromises, had his heart turned away despite the fact that he knew that he must guard his heart with all vigilance above all else because his Life flows from that wellspring. He knew that. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote that. And through a series of heart-poisoning compromises, his heart was turned away. He wasn't wholly devoted to God. And consider the horrible effects on Solomon's heart, home, and ministry that this poison of sin led into his heart had. series of compromises in the area of heart shepherding devastated everything that flowed out of his heart. His heart turned to false gods. His children did not love God. Within a generation, the kingdom was ripped in two, inundated with idolatry, and finally, as a result of this trajectory, God's people were marched out of their promised land into exile in chains having for generations abandoned God and his law. Just a few little compromises. He was king. He was the wisest man who ever lived. He wrote scripture. You know, surely he could deal with a few Sidonian women, a little money, lots of horses, the very things that God warned him would turn his heart away. 
This is serious. And it's true. Solomon knew Proverbs 4.23, and he was convinced of it better than any of us. He wrote it. But guarding your heart is much more than knowing the command. And guarding your heart is much more than being excited about guarding your heart. We have to actually do it. Yesterday's success at guarding your heart does not guarantee tomorrow. Let me encourage you, yesterday's failure doesn't mean you're doomed either. Your new heart is from God. When God saves us and sets us on a trajectory of holiness, it's Him who brings that to completion. He uses means. And one of the means will be guarding your heart to God through His Word. So don't forsake that means. But don't despair. Okay, so yesterday's success doesn't guarantee tomorrow's success. But neither does failure doom you. God is gracious and He's given you a new heart. Okay, so above all else, more than you pursue food each day, more than you seek to care for your home, more than you diligently care for your children, love your friends, more than you're diligent to make sure that you get exercise each day or clean your house, do your laundry, or even go to work, more than you do all those things, guard your heart. God's given you a new heart. He's given you the Holy Spirit. And He commands and enables you to guard your heart. We must do this above all else. No days off. No higher priorities. This is a lifelong, faithful process that we must grow in. Christian, you were saved by God's grace, and we will only guard our heart by God's grace. So recognizing the importance of the task and that the stakes are high, as you diligently guard, depend on grace. Our new heart was created by God, and it will only be sustained by God. Remember, God isn't interested in religion. He is about heart change through the cleansing of the cross. And that comes and is sustained by seeking him through his word as we flee sin. So the question I have for you is, how well have you been guarding your heart? Just like a city might monitor its water supply for evidence of poison, revealing an intruder, we should evaluate what is flowing from our wellspring to see how pure the source is. Maybe you haven't been guarding your heart. Well, today, guarding your heart is your most important priority. So now let me give you some questions to help you evaluate and guide your heart guarding. Remember, we're to consider our hearts in the shadow of the cross where Jesus died to give us new hearts and reconcile us to him. C.J. Mahaney writes, we, we study our hearts in the shadow of the cross. We study our hearts as a means of protecting our hearts from the daily presence and opposition of sin. And if you don't watch, you'll inevitably weaken. So look at today's homework and consider some of the questions I've included to help you consider how well you've been guarding your wellspring. 
please spend time on your own prayerfully considering these, giving God the glory where you do well, and immediately making changes consistent with repentance where these questions reveal sin. So under part two, or question two, there's a list of questions there. These are for you to do on your own. You don't necessarily have to write the answer out. I encourage you to if you're like me. Sometimes if I think in my head, I can have nebulous thoughts, think I write, think I thought thoroughly about it. There's something about putting pen to paper, fingers to keyboard that helped me think thoroughly. So however is most helpful for you, I, I encourage you to actually give this some prayerful thought. Where you see sin, confess it. And where you see some, some success, remember, give God the glory. It's the new heart that he made in you and his spirit at work in you that brings that success. So do you usually sense a presence or absence of affection for God? What does that say about your heart? Do you have an appetite for God's word? What does that say about your heart? Are you daily shepherding your heart to God in his word? Do your daily routines, encouraging your entertain, including your entertainment choices, internet use, and free time, reflect that you are guarding your heart above all else? How do your prayers reflect the vigilance with which you guard your heart? What lures your heart away from God? And the list on your homework keeps going. Please do spend some time prayerfully pondering each of these. Involve your roommates, your spouse, or your friends. Children or your parents as necessary. To the degree what you're doing good, God gets the glory. And if you're anything like me, this list of questions reveals some sin. And what we've studied today shows that in, in our battle against these sins, we have to go to the root. Confess that sin to God and by his grace, guard your new heart. Apart from the grace of God, we're helpless to work at the heart level. Right? Be like a, apart from depending on God to change your heart, it would be like rebuking a city for the poison that comes out of its well, or that comes out of the pipes of, of the, the water, or the water that comes out of the pipes because the source of the well is contaminated. If, if they're helpless to change the source, can tidy up the pipes. Right? You can polish the pipes, but poison, only poison is going to come. We're dependent on God to change the well source, and thankfully he has. So what we must not do when we see sin is to play leapfrog over our heart. Guarding your heart is not behavior modification. That's what the world says. When the world sees something wrong, they say change your behavior. We must change our behavior, but that doesn't come in and of itself, and that's not an end in itself. Speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus describes their root problem. He said, You outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Water flowing from a poison-filled well through nicely polished pipes into a fancy cup is still poisonous. So don't clean the pipes, guard the wellspring. Never let us be content with behavior modification in our pursuit of holiness. 
God has already done the most amazing and important work in giving us new hearts. So women, by, by the grace of God, in the shadow of the cross, for the glory of God, let's guard these new hearts together. So that's, that's it. Thank you, guys. Ladies, I'm going to close us in prayer. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Father, thank you for this command. Thank you that it is simple to break down and understand. And thank you, Lord, that you have given us the tools to show us how to shepherd that heart. Lord, we thank you for giving us new hearts. Thank you for taking our hearts that were diseased, that were selfish and living for ourselves, and yet, Lord, so destructive and so devious and wicked through and through. Thank you for taking that out. Thank you for providing a new heart through Christ's sacrifice for us. Lord, we have been given the most precious, precious, priceless gift. Lord, please continue to help us, to show us how to treat this precious gift of new life every day, no days off, above all else. We pray in Jesus' name, our Savior's name. Amen.